Rooster Production presents Under the Water Tower, sponsored by Team Couch of Birch Realty Group. And now, here are your hosts, Derek Biglane and Matt Crane. Good afternoon, Corey. Good afternoon, Matt. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, I want to thank you for coming in and, and visiting with us. Uh, thanks for reaching out. I uh, want to come on the UTW podcast. Uh, we've had a lot of growth in the last, I can't believe it's almost been eight weeks now. Appreciate you wanting to be on the show and and reach out to our listeners and talk about DCS and talk about DeSoto County. Right. I'm a big fan of the show, and uh, I think it's been really good for the community, uh, for everybody to be able to tune in and uh, learn lots of interesting things and sure. uh, answer a lot of questions. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. So you and I have known each other personally for a little while, uh, a number of years now, and, and kind of what I talked to you about off air or visited with you about via text was talking, asking some personal questions, not anything crazy but just personal questions <laughs> yeah. about you people can kind of start to know you a little bit deeper than than the gentleman who's who's making the tough decisions and running dcs uh, in the in the county uh where were you born Corey? i'm originally from humboldt tennessee uh, just outside of jackson tennessee and uh, went to high school there and then uh, went to the university of memphis it was memphis state university yep. back in the day and i was a manager for the men's basketball team uh, when uh, Elliot Perry and Anthony Hardaway played uh, back during that era when Coach Finch was the coach. And I uh, left there and uh, wanted to go into coaching and went to Delta State University as a graduate assistant coach for the men's basketball team there. And I uh, got into coaching high school basketball and met a Mississippi girl, met Amanda here and uh, in Mississippi, and then never left and went back to Tennessee. Tell me a little bit about it, if you don't mind. That's very interesting. You saw my eyes kind of light up when yeah. you said, so you got to rub elbows each and every day. I mean, the, the trainer for a basketball team is, is kind of the low man on the pole. Yeah. Well, you know, that's one thing, too, that I think has helped me uh, in every position that I've been in is because, you know, serving in that kind of role, uh, you know, it really helps you to understand when you have other people, whether it's in your organization or school or business, wherever it is, that everybody's got a job to do in order for the team to be effective. So, right. so, so I've seen both sides of it. Yeah, and so like being around Penny and those guys and stuff, I, could, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I can remember the commercials, Penny the commercials and stuff like that, what, yeah. what, a, what a big figure he was. Just a normal guy in college pretty well. Penny, Penny's a great guy, and uh, I really uh, admired him as far as how he handled the spotlight mm-hmm in college because uh, I was there with him for, for one year. Uh, that would have been the first year that he played there. He played two seasons uh, at Memphis State, and he already had so much notoriety around the country. And so any anytime we traveled anywhere, uh, you know, we would uh, – you know, get off the airplane or get off the bus, and there'd be people waiting there to get his autograph. And we hadn't seen anything like that yet uh, because he had such a name that uh, everyone knew who he was. And so, but just to see the kind of pressure he was under to perform every night and how he handled it. And, and with us, he was just one of the guys. And it was great to follow his career and now to see him back in that role. And I try to get up there when I can, uh, when they have an evening practice or something. I uh, try to get up there about once a month, pre COVID at least, sure. I did. Uh, just to see how they were doing. And Tony Madlock, who's one of his assistant coaches, uh, he was on the team. I was there with him for four years, oh, wow. actually. And so, yeah, I know those guys really well, and uh, it's just really good to see them succeeding. 
was basketball a part? I mean, did you grow up playing basketball, loving basketball, all, all sports or mainly basketball? Yeah, I actually uh, really played basketball and soccer a lot growing up. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my height kind of caught up with me in a <laughs> negative way when it came to basketball. Uh, and so uh, and when it, I moved uh, to Humboldt, they didn't have uh, soccer teams, you know, like in high school. And so so that kind of faded out. And so I uh, started working with the basketball team, as I said, at uh, Memphis State. And I, I'd always grown up uh, being a Memphis State fan. And so that worked out really well. And I've always had a love of sports oh absolutely yeah and utw podcast listeners uh for those that don't know what Corey looks like he is not the the tallest guy <laughs> he's definitely definitely not going to mix it up with penny hardaway and nah, those guys not going to but what a neat experience though like you said for that one year with him but for four years working being around an organization uh, i mean at that time i mean those guys were going to i mean they were traveling all around the country as big as something in memphis was at that time yeah and it's funny because i still have uh people who will send me pictures they'll have these posters that like have all of our pictures and they'll have our autographs underneath it and all these different things that about once every six months or somebody somebody will send me a picture because they'll see it somewhere in memphis and and uh, i'll say aha you know that must be in a museum and the last person sent it to me said well it was in an antique mall so it was kind of <laughs> close so you know kind of uh, kind of dating myself there but uh but it really was a great experience and we we did i mean we uh, flew all over the country and, and went to uh, all kinds of famous places, Madison Square Garden in New York. Uh, we were up there for a tournament one time and, and went all over the country. And just so many great memories uh, during that time. Uh, my last year there, the uh, conference tournament was at Chicago Stadium where the Bulls played. And so I still have pictures at home of uh, me sitting in Michael Jordan's locker and right. sitting courtside and things of that nature. And I got to see uh, Michael Jordan versus Larry Bird while we were in town. They were they were playing the night before the tournament. So it was a great experience uh, for me and uh, something I'll always treasure. Yeah, I've, I've talked to my, my son about that. We have kids that are roughly the same age. Uh, I've talked to Wilson about uh, those things, uh, the possibility when he gets into – to go into Ole Miss or wherever he wants to go. It doesn't matter. But wherever that is, that that may be something he might be interested in, to be a part of the organization, part of the team, that type of stuff. It, um, but it teaches you a lot. I mean, sure. and it's, it's great to be a part of it and, and – and to know you know, see the teamwork that goes behind it and we were actually uh at the state tournament uh, a couple of years ago we were down there watching uh, one of our basketball teams play uh it was when olive branch played and and the tigers uh had signed dj jeffries yep. from olive branch and so they uh penny hardaway and tony madlock they said were, they were coming to the game and so we were sitting about where they were and i had my two sons with me and so penny comes walking up and he's about 10 feet from us and he says hey Corey." And uh, so we talked, and we got our, got the boys' picture made with them, and we started walking off. And uh, my youngest son looked at me, and he said, he really does know who you are. And I said, <laughs> yeah. I've been telling you that for years. You know, but my, my kids really didn't right. believe me. They thought, he doesn't know who our dad is. Yeah, but your coolness factor kind of went up a little it bit. It did. I really got a lot of street cred with my own uh, children there that right. day, so it worked out good. At least that day, and then you made a wrong turn uh, coming yeah, out of the arena, yeah, and you, yeah. that, that disappeared. So education, like we talked about, coming out of basketball, coming out of uh, th- that type of organization, education – when did it grip you as this is what I want to do? When this is I want to be a part of this. This to be a part of my life. When did that happen? Well, when I was at Delta State University, um, I majored in education. I got my master's degree there, and I wanted to be a high school basketball coach. And so, with that, when you're a coach, you're also a teacher. And so, if I'm going to do anything, I want it to be first class. I want to do it right. And so, uh, became a uh, social studies teacher. I taught Mississippi studies and uh, world geography, and I was a head basketball coach uh, for 10 years. I, my last coaching stop was actually uh, here in Hernando. I was the uh, boys basketball coach mm-hmm. at Hernando High School and from 2001 to 2004. My wife and I were married. Amanda and I were married in the summer of 2001, and we'd always had our eye 
on DeSoto County and Hernando in particular. We really, uh, really liked the town. Uh, and it just so happened the, the position came open at that time and uh, everything worked out from so we moved here in 2001 and uh, we've been here ever since but talking about the coaching aspect of it and and when you're a school leader uh, whether it's as an assistant principal or principal or as superintendent uh, a lot of the lessons you learn as a coach uh, help you in those positions because you have to make difficult decisions all the time uh, you have to make quick decisions uh, when you're coaching basketball uh, but at the same time, you have to be a leader. You have to be a leader of, of your student athletes. Uh, when you're a coach, then as superintendent, you have to be a leader of not only our students and our, our employees, but also be a leader in the community and someone that our community can trust. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, again, like we talked about having uh, children the same age, you and I have sons. I think leadership is something that isn't taught or explored. I'll say I'll say explored uh, with our, our, our young people as, as much as I would like for it to be. Um, you know my daughter. My daughter's a 16-year-old junior at Hernando, and I, and I preached to her about leadership and, and, and being our youth group. We talk about being the light. And, um, you know, sadly for, for girls, uh, it's a struggle from a leadership standpoint because you ask them to lead, but then they lead a little bit too much, and there may be other words that they get yeah. called in today's world. So uh, I, that's, I definitely want to – Leadership is, uh, I always talk about, you know, seeing a need and filling a need um, is something we talk about on the show a lot. So that's definitely important. Leadership uh, should be a part of your job. And student leadership, as you mentioned, it's very important. Uh, Monday night, I addressed our Superintendent Youth Leadership Council, and we have a group of students from each of the high schools uh, throughout DeSoto County uh, that come together and work together because I feel like that's important. Uh, for students to work together from each school. So we have student leaders on each campus, but then that way they can learn from each other, make new friendships, and, and work together. I was also speaking to a student group uh, yesterday morning at Hernando High School. Uh, the student ambassador group invited me to come out. They were doing a series on leadership. And so we talked uh, for about 15 minutes, and they asked uh, some good questions. They, t they asked me some leadership questions. They asked about making difficult decisions, and especially right now with us being in the middle of COVID, uh, they were asking questions about back to school and how some of those decisions were made. And so it was a very good session. I always love getting out and getting to interact with our students. As I was saying on Wednesday nights, I work with our youth group over at Hernando Methodist, and that's something different each and every Wednesday night. You never know what it's going to be like, but definitely one of the most uh, enjoyable times of my week, for sure, being a part of that group. So when you and I first talked a, a little bit, we visited about some some different topics, some different things that we might could talk about. Uh, UTW podcast listeners, uh, we're, we're visiting with Corey Usselton, the uh, super Superintendent of DeSoto County Schools. Corey, you've been in that position for how long? This is my fifth year. Fifth year. Okay. And that kind of leads me into the first uh, question that we were talking about or that I was thinking about whenever we you agreed to come on was in 2015, again, you were talking about uh, all fair, you're talking about election. In 2015, this was a, a an elected official, uh, not official. It was an elected position, uh, so it was a countywide um, campaign that you had to run in 2015. However, in 2020, it is not that anymore. Correct? That is correct. Okay. So in 2015, you were elected by county by voting. How fast or how soon did that become? Uh, for those of the listeners that don't know, it became more of a, um, for lack of a better word, hired fire type position where you work with the board. But the board can make the kind of decisions a lot of other people have from a hire and fire standpoint. Right. It changed. 
And uh, I was elected in August 2015, and then I took office uh, January of 2016. Yep. And uh, that February, the legislature changed the superintendent position to an appointed position statewide. Statewide. And so what they said at that time was is anyone who's currently in that position that was just elected uh, can serve their term all the way through 2019. So I knew at that time that it was transitioning anyway. My attitude on it is if I go out every day and I make the best decisions possible for the students of DeSoto County Schools, then that's all I can do each day. And so I, I treated the job the same way, whether I was elected or whether I was appointed. And in uh, the summer of 2018, I actually resigned the elected position and became uh, an appointed superintendent. And what had happened there is our school board members uh, had talked to me about it. They realized that the people had put me in office. And uh, they felt uh, like they wanted to, to carry out the wishes of the people of DeSoto County uh, who actually elected me into the position. So the unique uh, stature I have with the county is this, is that uh, I'll be the only superintendent ever that was an appointed superintendent to Soto County, but that was elected by the people. So I'm very grateful for our school board and having the confidence to make me an appointed superintendent, but I'm always going to be grateful to the people of DeSoto County for voting me into office and for trusting me with that position. And so even though I, I answer to the board, I still feel like I answer to the entire county. And, and that's something that in the future, that'll never happen again. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when it's all said and done, you went, you won a countywide election. Correct. Fair and square, won a countywide election. My dad ran for state representative when I was in college uh, down where we're from in Louisiana, lost by about 200 votes. As, as he got older and I started to ask him more questions uh, about that once once the, the sting got over, I would say he regretted doing it from a standpoint, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but it was a tough as part of a uh, thing he ever done was Elect running uh, for us it'd be a, a, a parish-wide uh, election was very difficult on him elections are very difficult and I was very fortunate in, in our race uh, there were four educators uh, we were running for it all four uh, all three of them are, are friends of mine and it was a very clean race it was one that was about the students and so uh, that part we were very fortunate of. It got to where a lot of people were talking about the campaign. We actually had a uh, televised debate that was on Action News 5 back in July of 2015, and it, it got a lot of attention, but it, it should have got a lot of attention sure. because people want to have a superintendent they can trust, and they wanted to have a say-so in it. And it was the first time that there had been a contested superintendent race in DeSoto County since 2003. And so today when I see uh, people on the street, you know, they'll ask me, hey, when are you running again? I need one of your signs, you know. I need, and so a lot of people don't realize it's an appointed position again, but but I'm grateful to the people and, and I'm glad that uh, people still want to support me. A school board meeting, uh, Hernando Alderman meetings have seven aldermen, six aldermen, and then the mayor is in the middle kind of running the meeting. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what a meeting or a school board meeting would look like, correct? Or is it? It's, are you, it's are similar, you, okay. but what you have is, is it is a school board meeting so it is the meeting of the school board it's Those not people. the superintendent's Correct. meeting and so i'm there i'm working with the board president with the agenda and so what will happen is we'll have an agenda and the uh, board president will ask us to make a presentation about it normally one of my assistant superintendents will be the one to present it and then i will make a recommendation to the board and then the board will vote uh, on that and so i'm not the one running the meeting the board president technically is it is the board president meeting but okay. i have I give a superintendent's report, keep them updated, and then I'm the one that makes the recommendations to the board. And how many students are in DeSoto County at this time? We are at 34,200. We're the largest school district in the state. Uh, the, we have 
thousand more students than the second largest district. Uh, that gets really tough. You know, when I'm wanting to uh, bounce ideas off of other people, it's hard to get uh, other people on the phone that can relate to those types of numbers because no one in the state of Mississippi is uh, anywhere near close to that. The size of your school district could be three or four smaller school districts, four or five smaller school districts in, in Mississippi all combined, and you're making those decisions. Yes, it's a challenge, and it's one of the things, too, that uh, people – don't realize in other parts of the state we have eight school zones and so each of our school zones could be a, their own school district honestly right. uh, one thing about DeSoto County that's been very efficient over the years is that we are one school district uh, when you get into larger counties most of the time there are multiple school districts uh, but one of the one of the challenges but also one of the rewarding parts of the job is getting to to work with all of the school zones and to uh, to get out and go to events and, and to work with the with the students and the teachers and the parents in in all parts of the county, and so but the challenge is it's such a large district, and so even though you know I want to be hands on and get to get out to everything at the same time it's very difficult too because we have so much going on at one time. Oh, absolutely, and like we talked about married children that type of stuff you have responsibilities there that are super important uh, as well. Do you catch yourself? I guess you kind of have a little bit more in common when it's all said and done. You might have more in common with some of the superintendents in Collierville and Germantown, this area, versus some guy down in Long Beach, Mississippi. Right, and I try to connect with superintendents around the country, especially those that are in suburban districts uh, outside of uh, large cities. And just take, for example, like where we are right now, going back to school, uh, Shelby County Schools is not back in in person, and so uh, we get even more media requests than what we normally do. we got five TV stations uh, in Memphis, and uh, as a superintendent of a suburban district, which is near a, a major media market, uh, we are on TV quite a bit, or we have news stories, and uh, other sub- superintendents sometimes can't relate to that, especially if they aren't anywhere near a, a larger city where there's a TV station. But we want to make sure that we're very clear, too, sure. when we communicate with the media. Uh, I'm very involved in that part of it because we want to make sure that the correct information uh, is put out to the public. Uh, we, I feel that we uh, owe our public here in DeSoto County, uh, our parents and our citizens, uh, you know, every bit of information that they need. And so when we get a media request, uh, it, we, most of the time we want to make sure that our parents are aware of it if there's a situation going on that's newsworthy. And uh, then we want to make sure that we get the correct information to the media also. Uh, as, as a parent, I can certainly appreciate that. I'd rather I'd rather know Corey Oselton or know he's telling me the truth or telling me the situations uh, in, in this day and age versus News Channel 5. And it's so difficult these days, too, because with social media, yeah. if, if the wrong information gets out, uh, you know, it's so hard to, uh, to then correct that information. And so we try to get the right information out as quickly as possible. Sometimes we can't talk sure. about a situation, and, and we want to, but we're just not legally able to. And uh, But we, we want to make sure that we're as transparent as we can with our parents. So when you first uh, ran in, in 15, took over in uh, January 16, one of the things you ran about or ran on was spending. DeSoto County Schools spending, you want to be transparent about that. Catch us up to speed on how you feel like that's going uh, under your, your leadership. Well, every year when we are getting ready to ask the board to approve our budget, I ask our chief financial officer, are we spending more money in the classroom this year than we did last year? And that number has gone up. Uh, each year. Uh, We've been spending a a higher percentage. Uh, When I got into office, I believe we were at about 72% of our budget was spent uh, in the classroom, and now we're up to around 75%. And that may not sound like a big jump when you're talking about three percentage points, but, you know, when you're talking about millions of dollars in the process, it it has been something, but it's something that we've had to work very hard on uh, because what happens is, is there are more and more needs 
uh, with our students, more and more requirements from the state level. And so we do have to add some things from time to time, but we also want to make sure that we subtract when we can. Uh, since I've been in office, uh, just our director's positions alone, we've added three director's positions, but we've cut six director's positions. And so we actually, when I got into office, uh, we had three more directors than we have now. But what's happened is, is take some of those directors, for example, we've got more spotlight students uh, than what we had uh, when I got into office. We've got more English language learners now need help with English language than what we had in 2015. We've got more students who need special education services uh, than what we had in 2015. And so what we're trying to do is trying to do more with less, actually. Sure. Well, less or, yeah, do more with maybe the same budget that you, you inherited in 2015 or 16. That's correct. And when I say that about the percentage in the classroom, teacher salaries are tied into that. And the number of teachers, the number of guidance counselors, uh, the number of assistant principals, uh, we've, we've increased all of those uh, numbers since I've been in office. And so we want to make sure that we're efficient with our taxpayer dollars. Uh, at the same time, we want to make sure that we're pushing as much of that money out to the schools as we possibly can. So when we talk about budgets, we talk about today, 2020, uh, October 2020, uh, the the topic to be discussed is the C word, COVID-19. Tell us a little bit about, and, and we'll get to today, catch me up to February and March. What was February and March like for someone in your position to begin to start? We go from something that People are telling us, oh, it's no big deal. It's not going to come here. Fast forward to February where it's, it is here. What, what was that like uh, for someone in your position who, at the end of the day, has 34,000 kids to oversee, not to mention the employees and all the staff? It was a very challenging time for all of us, but at the same time as leaders, it was very difficult. Uh, in, in February, we were already uh, talking about COVID and, and our schools and, and what we might be seeing. Of course, none of us had any idea what we were going to see over the next few months. But as we went into spring break, week uh, we were talking about precautions that we may want to take when we got back and then that was the week of, uh, when we were on spring break is when it all started that was when all the you know the sporting events started shutting down and then and then all these other things were happening and so we uh, were making plans to maybe start back later after spring break first we delayed it one day and then we were talking about two or three days and one of the main reasons we were delaying uh, going back after spring break wasn't because we necessarily had a lot of great ideas, but it was, okay, what's it going to be like tomorrow? What's the next day going to be like? Because the guidance was changing so much in those first few days. Of course, we know the guidance has changed so much in the last few months. But that first few days, it was spiraling out of control. They would tell us, uh, you know, one thing, and then 10 minutes later, we would hear something else because nobody had any concept of, of this. It never had happened in the past. And so uh, it was just getting so much conflicting data and then trying to get the right information out to our parents. Uh, and, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier. I wanted to give updates to our parents every day, but I knew as much as everything was changing, something I may say now may be obsolete six hours from now. Right. And so when we were going back and then we were going through the spring semester, one of the most challenging parts was us was our senior class. We had to make sure that our seniors were able to graduate. So we wanted to make sure they were able to get the credits that they needed so they could move on. But at the same time, we wanted them to have graduation. And so guidance was changing on that. And then the number of people you could have in one location 
in those things. And our high schools worked hard to, to make sure that they had the best ceremony possible under the circumstances. Uh, we uh, had a video crew that we worked with that combined all of the uh, students at each school, getting their diploma and put it into one video uh, to try to put it together because we couldn't have that many people in the building at one time. And so we, we did as much as we possibly could for them. But then that transition started on what do you do about the 2020-2021 school year. And so we were already working on that uh, in May. And uh, from the very beginning, the feedback I was getting from parents was, is we want to have the option to go back to school. And, and I saw that myself, even right. with my own children. I've got a, a sophomore and a seventh grader, and they weren't able to interact with their friends. They weren't able to interact with their teachers. And, and there's, that's a big part of it when you're talking about our children and, and them maturing is, is to have that interaction each day. And so, so I fought all summer to, to make sure that our students had that option, but then also at the same time that our students had an option if their parents wanted to keep them at home. Because I felt like from the very beginning, uh, I knew that we were going to have parents who, for whatever reason, maybe their child had a health issue, maybe there was someone who lived in the house who had a health issue, or maybe their parents were just scared of the possibility of their child going back to school. So we wanted to offer them some type of online education, but at the same time, make sure that parents had the option of keeping their children in school. And so it's been a challenge all throughout the year. But one thing I want parents to know is, is, you know, as we're monitoring cases and quarantines, we're having to follow Mississippi State Department of Health guidance. Uh, everything that we're doing as far as quarantines is coming from from them, and so we, we have to follow their guidance in order to stay in school. But I want parents to know that we look at each school individually. We're not uh, looking at the whole district at one time and saying, okay, we have a lot of cases at this one school. Okay, we need to the whole district to shut down or the whole district to go hybrid or whatever it might be. And that, I feel like that's important because we, we could have a situation where we might have a middle school in one zone that might need to go hybrid for a couple of weeks, but that shouldn't affect an elementary school in another zone. And I want all everyone to know that we are looking at it on an individual school-to-school basis each week. Uh, and at the same time, when we talk about hybrid schedules, I'm very pleased that we've been able to stay open and uh, that our parents are cooperating and, and monitoring symptoms at home and our students are following protocol and our teachers are following protocol. It's just really a team effort as far as that part is concerned for us to have been able to stay in school with no interruptions uh, up to this point, and we're excited about that. We've got to continue following that protocol because we're headed into flu season. Uh, we're seeing an uptick in the numbers as far as cases and quarantines right now because a couple of the things, we've got more students in class because a lot of the virtual students have come back to the classroom and on top of that more people are going to the doctor uh, because of flu-like symptoms we have a medical task force and they keep me updated on that and so naturally more people are being tested and so more people are going to test positive. As a parent, uh, I think you've done a, a good job uh, there. Uh, just watching you from across the table talk about this, I'm thinking back and leaders should you know, survey the facts consistently, constantly, all the time. And and like you said, if something's going on at Center Hill Middle School, Center Hill Middle School is a long way from Lake Comrade Middle School. And so you can't just do such a wide brush. That's what society wants you to do. That's what sometimes government wants you to do. It's just very convenient to just shut 34,000. That's 34,000 kids that have 30,000 households and so forth and so on. That's a big, big decision to happen. So are you? do you monitor the Mid-South 
much closer than, than again, down on the coast and that type stuff? Is that kind of what you look at more? Well, we look at uh, the numbers that Mississippi State Department of Health puts out each week for DeSoto County. Right. And so we want to see how is DeSoto County comparing, and I look at it on a per 100,000 sure. uh, population. I, I feel like that's the best way to look at it. And so we look at it, not DeSoto County has the most cases because DeSoto County is a large county. Right, sure. It's very likely. And so how is DeSoto County doing on a per 100,000 basis compared to other counties? Is DeSoto County in general, are the numbers going up? If their numbers are going up and ours are going up, that makes sense. We don't want to see our numbers going up and DeSoto County's going down because, okay, what's going on in the schools then? You know, do we need to do a better job? And so we want to, you know, monitor that uh, nonstop. And, and that's it's been something that we've had to do every day. There, you talked about earlier about leadership and, and experience, and nothing prepares a leader for, for what we've experienced this year. If I have heard one parent or one person say, I wouldn't want to have your job right now, I think I've heard that about a hundred times At over least. the last few months, and, and but what it is, I mean, I've, this is my calling. I mean, I I love DeSoto County Schools. I love working with our students and our employees. Our teachers work so hard. Uh, I'm a parent of DeSoto County Schools, so so I know how important the school system is to DeSoto County. And so even though it has been the most challenging thing I have ever met in my career. It's also been something that I feel like I can look back on years from now and and know, hey, I was a part of that as far as our students going back to school, and and it's paid off for them. This has just been such a a difficult time for leaders in a lot of things because everything right now is people are on one side or another with different issues. And and COVID, you know, we've seen that in our schools is, uh, you know, we may have – you know, parents who wanted their students to go back, and then I might get an email, you know, a different email a few minutes later from somebody who said there's no way students should go back. And then, uh, you know, we should be on a traditional schedule. No, you should be on a hybrid schedule. And it's just everybody, there's never been a topic to where there's been so many opinions that are on so many parts of it. So I realize as the leader, you know, it's impossible to make everybody happy right now. But also as a leader, I feel like I'm obligated to our students, our employees, and our parents to offer a safe place for our students to go to school while at the same time making sure that our students are able to make those academic strides that the parents are wanting them to make. Let's shift from coronavirus over to let's talk about the future of the Soto County Schools. Mm -hmm. So we're going to shift out of the COVID-19 talk, which, again, is is a daily discussion we could have. We can have the Mm -hmm. same interview tomorrow and have a different discussion. The future of the Soto County Schools. What does that look like? What are some things that you'd like to see maybe in the next two years, five, and, and hopefully you know your tenure can be much longer, but what, what are some things in the future that you'd like to see for DeSoto County Schools? Well, we're about to uh, be receiving a lot of technology over the next few weeks, and I think parents are going to be uh, seeing that uh, and be pleased to see a one-to-one initiative. Uh, to where over this next year we're going to be having students using devices in the classroom. Many of our students may be using those at home also. But one of the challenges that I see uh, is keeping up with the growth in DeSoto County Schools. And uh, going back to to my tenure in office and and also wanting to, to leave office someday way in the future to where I feel like I've left DeSoto County in a great place to be successful in the future. And keeping up with that growth is is a challenge. Uh, here in the Hernando area, uh, and as I said, my, my children, they go to school in Hernando. So I see the challenge, you know, in the car rider line every day. Sure. I, I see how many students that we have and, and, and how crowded it can be. And we actually uh, were looking at the possibility of a no-tax increase bond issue to increase our Hernando facilities. 
And uh, you mentioned a minute ago, let's talk about something besides COVID, but this comes back to COVID. Sure. We had some drawing, we had some plans on the drawing board uh, for a serious expansion of our Hernando facilities. And we were looking at the possibility of a no tax increase bond issue, but that would have been coming up uh, in, in the fall where we are right now. But then COVID hit, right. and that put everything on hold. How long will that put something like that on hold? Maybe a year, maybe two years. Uh, we've got to get out on the other side of COVID before we can start talking about a, a major increase like that. But it would have been something. And, and what we want to do in the future is we're committed to making improvements but without raising taxes because we want to make sure that we are good stewards of the taxpayer dollars. And so we've been trying to make financial decisions, and I tell people all the time, we've got to save for a rainy day, whether you're at home or whether you're the leader of DeSoto County Schools. The rainy day came last spring in COVID, and I felt good going back to how we've been conservative with our, our finances because I knew that we could add some things, and we've had to add things because of COVID. We've added more nurses because of COVID. Uh, we've had to add other positions just to help with COVID that we won't need in the future. But going back to the facility side of it, uh, here in Hernando just alone uh, this past year, we built eight classrooms at Hernando Middle School. They're in use now. We added four more on at uh, Hernando Hills Elementary School. We added two uh, in the summer of 2019 at Oak Grove. We added four at Hernando Elementary, and that only leaves Hernando High School. And we're adding 10 classrooms this upcoming spring at Hernando High School. So you'll start to see construction out there in January or February uh, where we'll be adding on to the high school. And that is to keep up with that growth. And so hopefully – I saw piles of dirt. Is that part of it? or Hernando High School. Yeah, where, the, where's that going to be? Is, no. If you are on uh, McInvale looking at the side of Hernando High School, okay. where you see the baseball field yeah. and the band hall, sure. and that, that wing of classrooms, sure. it's going to be right on that side of those classrooms, on, on the side closest to McInvale, and it's going to run uh, parallel to McInvale. Okay. And so people will start seeing construction – uh, over in January, right. February, uh, most people didn't see the Hernando Middle School construction. As it was back in the back near the softball field. Right, sure. Uh, but but this will add on to Hernando High School to keep up with the growth uh, that we have there. Uh, and so hopefully we'll get to the point, you know, we'll be able to even do more uh, for the Hernando area. And we have big plans, as I said, on sure. the drawing board. And, and unfortunately, that was a, another thing that COVID affected. Right. You don't want to share those plans today? Oh, well, we actually. Uh, <laughs> well, do, the, do the band parents know that you're affecting their band field? Uh, no. Nah, and so uh, we'll make sure we take care of the band. Hey, I've, I've been a big. <laughs> I want to announce that on the UTW yeah, podcast yeah, right now. Yeah. I've been uh, a, send letters to Corey Usselton at gmail.com. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I've been a. <laughs> a big fan of uh, of the Hernando band and their state championships, and uh, I think any superintendent who's smart is going to you know make sure that the band's taken care of. And right. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll make sure they're taken. But care that's of. where the that's where the new things will go right there right. where the band it'll be, is. It'll be it'll be, it'll be right beside the beside. current hallway, okay. and so there's a hallway there, and oh, so we'll okay. make sure the band's going to have plenty of room to practice. <laughs> so, but we will have to work through some things, and anytime there's construction, you got to find a way to to get the crews in and, sure, and to be able to to you know bring in the equipment that you need sometimes you have to divert traffic or sometimes you know groups have to move you know for a, a short amount of time but uh but we'll, we'll get that done i think it's really going to help the high school out so really growth is the biggest challenge right now for desoto county that would that that you feel like is growth just managing that being fair to each and every student who deserves an education uh but growth is the biggest challenge uh, moving forward it, right. it is going to be growth and and also just uh keeping the the level of academic excellence that 
that our parents expect. And, uh, you know, Lewisburg High School and, and Hernando High School are, uh, you know, two of the top performing uh, high schools in the state. And, and I know the parents in this area, uh, you know, are real excited about those. Uh, Center Hill High School was just named as a national blue ribbon school. That's the first time in uh, the last 11 years at a high school in Mississippi won the National Blue Ribbon School. And so we've got a lot of good things happening all around the county, but I just want to make sure that we're not just doing great things, but we're we're making sure that we meet all the needs of all of our students, but also that those top students, that, that we're doing the best that we can to make sure that they reach their potential. What happens a lot of times in schools is, is uh, you know, those top students, oh, okay, well, they're smart. You know, we don't have to challenge them as much. No, we need to challenge them. Sure. We, we need them to be able to get you know, to get the highest ACT scores they can get. We need to make sure that uh, we, we have as many national merit semifinalists as we possibly can. We, uh, we have uh, 26 national merit semifinalists right now for this school year. It's the second highest total we've had in the history of the district. And uh, those are students that uh, perform in the top 1% of the state on the uh, preliminary SAT. And so we, we strive to make sure that, that we meet the needs of the students who need more help while at the same time challenging those students who really, really can succeed. I mean, academics, of course, are, are important, but something else I know after knowing you for a long time, something else that is important to you are the extracurricular activities. Uh, you and I see each other at basketball games and different things for our kids a lot, whether it be soccer, basketball, and so forth. So tell us about that, extracurricular activities. We just joked around about the band, uh, the band field uh, being affected and that being a big deal. But Tell us what, what you feel about those extracurricular things, both band, art, that type of stuff, why you want to be a big part of that in the future. Well, as a high school basketball coach for 10 years, I saw the importance of athletics and extracurricular activities with my student athletes, and, uh, and I really felt it helped them in the classroom also because they were being held accountable there. Uh, but then when I became a principal, I really got involved also in uh, the fine arts and, and the other sports. And, and when you connect – uh, with those students and with those parents and those extracurricular activities, it, it really does help uh, in the classroom and it helps the all-around all process. Uh, when I was principal at DeSoto Central High School, I followed the band all around the state and the country. We, I'd get on the bus with them, my wife and my kids, and we'd, we've loaded up and gone to Florida and, and Indiana and Ohio and all these other places to watch the band perform in national competitions. Uh, since I've been in office, I've uh, gone down to Jackson I uh, watched the state championships uh, with our bands, and uh, uh, I've seen uh, the Hernando High School win the band. I've I've already I've been there in person and seen them win it tw on two different right. occasions before, and just to be there to support them because, and I think it means a lot uh, to parents. Uh, when the leaders of the district are supportive of their children and their extracurricular activities because that's what students are passionate about. They Sure, they go to school every day. You know, your parents got to wake them up and send them to school. Right. But they're, they're looking forward to going to band. They're looking forward to that that extracurricular activity after school. And so if you can meet those students and parents where they are with, with, with the part of it that they're really, really passionate about, where they have that special talent, uh, I mean, I feel that that's important as a leader uh, to, to really support the students uh, in their extracurricular activities, and, and I think it carries over uh, into everything. My wife and I uh, were very involved with those extracurricular activities. My wife spent, uh, it seems, uh, seriously, the last two or three weeks working with homecoming at Hernando because sure. homecoming was supposed to be, uh, I think, 
three weeks ago, right. and then they ended up doing it last week, and there wasn't a game either time right. because of COVID. Uh, but she was real involved with the uh, sophomore class as far as the decorations and all that. But not only them, but just being involved with all the classes, right. and, you know, making sure that everybody had the best homecoming that they possibly could. Uh, and, and we try to stay involved with our own kids and even in the community. I mean, I, I coached rec league basketball before here in uh, Hernando. Um, both of my sons are involved in sports. My uh, sophomore son, he's uh, Jackson. He's uh, involved with football and soccer at the high school. And my uh, youngest son, Will, he's in seventh grade, and uh, he's involved with uh, basketball and soccer at the middle school. And I just feel like, as a former coach and now as a parent, you know, just seeing the importance of that, and I want to make sure that I can support it as much as I possibly can. So many of us that live in Hernando now, the last 20, 25 years, have come from other areas, other places, the Delta, a small town like myself, and, and local sports, local sports teams, extracurricular activities. Is, is a very, it was a big part of our lives growing up, and it should remain the same way, and that's what we want for our kids is to, to enjoy those uh, those experiences. Before we start to wrap up, I, I think uh, I apologize for going so long, and I appreciate you giving me this time. I know we talked about the national merit uh, semifinalists and so forth are there any other achievements that you feel like hey the last five years we've we've expanded we've grown uh, DeSoto County has gotten better at over the last five years one thing is that uh, we've been given an A rating uh, from the Mississippi Department of Education uh, every year over the last five years there's uh, only nine school districts uh, in Mississippi that have done that there there are 140 school districts total and only nine have been an A each of those five years. And the way that you're an A district uh, is uh, by having a high proficiency in uh, English language and also in math, uh, a high proficiency in science and in uh, U.S. history, and then also student growth. Uh, they measure how students, where students are one year, and then did they grow an appropriate amount into the next school year. But then along with that, uh, ACT scores are mixed in, the number of dual credit classes, the number of AP classes. And, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier. We want to make sure that we're offering as many advanced placement classes as we can, as much uh, dual credit classes as we can. Uh, and when I came into office, we really didn't have a, a very big dual credit program at that time. Uh, I worked with uh, Northwest and, and uh, also Delta State. We had some classes through there, and now we've got uh, students taking all kinds of dual credit classes uh, throughout DeSoto County schools, and we've been very creative with that. Uh, we actually those students were taking online classes a lot before covid right. uh, we started getting our um, our students taking those uh, dual credit courses because we want to do there with dual credit we want our students to have the opportunity to go ahead and and take some of those entry-level classes and take them while they're in high school and that way get them a head start uh, going into to, uh, college and then that way if they don't have to to take those classes on the college campus they can move into their major a little bit sooner and so right. uh, just offering the students those types of opportunities that hadn't been offered in the past uh, that's something that, that I feel is very important. Something I should have mentioned it whenever we were discussing growth being the principal of DeSoto Central High School I mean DeSoto Central at a particular time probably when you were there just boomed mm -hmm. that area of DeSoto County just expanded so fast so uh, so large so fast were you at the middle school then to the high school or did you go straight to the high school? Uh, I was at the high school uh, I was uh, became the principal at DeSoto Central High School in 2000 uh, and I was there until January 2016 when I took over as superintendent. And so we started seeing that real increase in that area there, and we've had to build on a lot in the DeSoto Central area. The three areas that of DeSoto County that we've seen the most growth and we've also been building the most classrooms are DeSoto Central, 
Hernando and Lewisburg. Uh, at, her, at Lewisburg, we're building the uh, the new middle school out there, and uh, one of the reasons uh, we had to look at building a middle school out there was because of the fact our the elementary school and the primary school were right beside each other. They were about to run into each sure. other. The wings were because we had to just keep expanding. Uh, there and so the Lewisburg area should be set for for a number of years. Uh, we'll still need to continue to build on to the high school uh, right. there. So but the new school is the middle school, right? What'll happen out there okay, is the yeah. new school will be the middle school, and uh, then the uh, primary school stay primary, but they'll have one less grade instead okay. of being kindergarten first and second. They'll just be kindergarten and first. Elementary instead of being third, fourth, and fifth, it'll be second and third, and then the middle the middle school. Now, where that is, that'll be Lewisburg Intermediate School. It'll have fourth and fifth. And uh, similar things have been done in other zones in the past here in DeSoto County. And and so uh, grade configurations changing a little bit. So they'll be set uh, for a number of years out there. Uh, you know, we're still going to be working on Hernando, as we said. But, you know, when I'm, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I'm the guy when I see that new subdivision come up and I'm driving down the road, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, okay, we got to pay attention to that because we, we have to keep up with real estate developments and, sure. and know where people are moving to in DeSoto County. Uh, but at the same time, I want DeSoto County schools to be the driving force in the economy and, right. and uh, be something that's a selling point for our businesses because we want business and industry. And we want when leaders look to move to DeSoto County, move their business here, If when they ask about the schools, we want to be able to say we have a great school district because if our school district can stay successful, we feel like it helps property values, it helps the business industry, it helps everything. Absolutely. And uh, we want to be a part of that, and, and we want to be a part of the success of DeSoto County Schools. I mean, when I look back on my career someday, I want to feel like I made a contribution to the county. I, I want to feel like I, I left behind a legacy uh, to, to where people know that I worked as hard as I possibly could for our school district. But it's it's about the, the students. It's about our teachers. It's about all of us working together. And, uh, and I'm just so fortunate that we have such a great uh, group of, of teachers and administrators and, and staff members. I mean, I could go on and on about, uh, you know, every, every group of employees that we have because it is a total team effort. When you talk about a district our size has had this type of success, and then at the same time, everybody working together for a common goal. I mean, everybody's working together to make sure our students are successful. Over 34,000 students uh, this year. Next year, it's probably going to be more. And, yes. and it is so important to pay attention to the growth and, and again, try and give uh, each and every student of DeSoto County uh, the best education that we can give them. Something else, go back to teachers in DeSoto County. Are there, and, and educate me on this, uh, I know in college, tenure-type program type thing, middle schools, high schools, uh, the counties, they don't have anything necessarily like that. Is there a, a re- review process? that principals can do for their own teachers or is there some type of I grew up when my mom was a principal for 15 years and a teacher for 15 and she had to go in, into each and every classroom and pay attention to all that type of stuff obviously all that's still going on right I mean each and every year right our teachers are right. evaluated each year and of course academics and the accountability that's gone along with it has changed a lot over the last several years and uh, there's good and bad that goes with that uh you know, the good part is, is, you know, we want our children to receive the best education possible. Right. Uh, the bad, there's been a lot of state testing that's come along with it, too. Uh, I wish there was more of a happy medium there, uh, you know, because our teachers are working hard, and uh, but th- they get pushed so hard oftentimes. And, and a lot of it is pressure they put on themselves, too, sure. because they want to be the very best. They want to make sure that their students receive uh, the best education possible. But there is an evaluation process. And it, when I was a principal at DeSoto Central High School, I told our teachers, look, I'm, I'm going to be in and out of your classroom. I'm going to try to, you know, 
you know, being here two or three days a week, just stopping in for two or three minutes, you know, that might be all. But that way I can I, I know that the job's getting done. And uh, and our, our principals work with our teachers on that. We, and I think it's also very important, and we were in the middle of implementing a new program uh, for our new teachers, uh, a teacher mentoring program, because I feel like we need to – go out and get the best and brightest teachers, but we also need to retain those teachers. Absolutely. And I know, you know, I learned so much between my first and second year in the classroom, just like first, second year as principal or superintendent, whatever it might be. And we need to make sure that we're training those those new teachers up and uh, giving them the mentoring they need so they can be successful. You and I are, are part of a, a men's kind of ministry here in town. Crew of Fernando, we're part of that together. And something we do are teacher grants and have, I think, for the last eight years mm-hmm. that we've worked on teacher grants for the DeSoto Economic Council. And part of the, what we do is they give us all the Hernando teachers. We, we go through them and kind of rate as a board, a group of about 10, 11 guys, what we like and you know what grants that we kind of you know, reach us that we're interested in. And I remember eight years ago, people were talking about iPads and stuff like that and we really struggled with that but here we were trying to think of what was the best thing for in that teacher's classroom you know so it took us a while to start to say okay wait a minute technology seems to be uh, pretty heavy uh, in our hands with these grants so maybe an ipad or how uh, because just because we didn't grow up uh, doing that in the classroom doesn't mean it's not the way it is now and so I'm, I'm sure you guys do a good job of, of adapting and, and helping these teachers that maybe came out and maybe they've been teaching for 30 years. They, uh, the students have changed. The core has not, but the students and what they do when they go home each and every day has definitely changed. I agree with you. And, you know, when you have uh, new teachers coming out of college and, and they may have learned something differently in college, uh, you know, they're pretty flexible, you know, when they get in and you can, uh, you know, teach them something pretty new, uh, pretty quick. Uh, going back to the grants, and that's one of the most interesting parts is when teachers are applying for those grants, the great ideas they come up with. You know, we we could come up with uh, all kinds of ideas in the crew for what we think teachers might need, and then they apply and you go, whoa, you know, sure. I never would have thought of that. And, the, and they're so creative and, and they just want to be able to offer that little something extra to their students. And you're right, you know, the way things are taught a lot of times with technology or the resources that are available is different the main thing though and the main constant and it's been that way since we were in school or since i started in education is that connection between the student and the teacher and that relationship that that teacher is able to build and if that teacher can connect with that student uh, it's going to help them to grow academically because they're they're going to pay attention to that teacher more, but also it's going to help them to grow socially and emotionally too. And and, and going back to what we talked about with COVID, I, I feel like that was one of the main benefits and one of the main reasons that we needed to get students back in school was because of those social and emotional needs. And so even though some things totally change over time and state testing changes and all this changes, just that connection there between those students and teachers, especially at those younger ages, is just so vital. So whenever you and I were off air uh, texting back and forth, I told you I was going to ask you some questions. That Don't be afraid. It's Here not, come the tough ones. Uh, exactly. You've been, the other stuff was easy. But yeah. uh, if we're going to visit for an hour, uh, like I said, I definitely want to ask you some questions more. Not personal, again, to, to be invasive, but just fun questions. I told you on Wednesday nights with our church youth group, uh, we'll do something called 10 questions, and we'll start with the seniors. Uh-huh. Uh, as we start the school year, we'll work to juniors and sophomores. But that's always the time where everybody is quiet everybody's paying attention whenever we start asking questions about people that are fun that are uh you'll see what i mean yeah okay? i've already asked you where you're from again Humboldt, tennessee where you kind of grew up uh, where you met your wife was college right no, no uh, i did not okay. i was uh 
it was uh, when I moved to Pontotoc, Mississippi as a uh, basketball coach. Uh, Amanda is from Baldwin, Mississippi. Okay. She is a uh, Northeast Mississippi girl, and so we met uh, We met there through some mutual friends. Knew she might be your wife. How, how, what do you think there? Was it love at first sight type situation? Or well, you know, did she tell you no for a long it, time to go out with you? We both have different differing stories on how right. we met. Sure. Uh, I, I tell everybody that we met at Applebee's, but I, she didn't she didn't remember me, I guess, because she tells everybody we met like three months later, right. and so she doesn't remember that part. To this day, she she swears I'm I'm wrong on that. But uh, but well, we she were, was on it. She was on a date at Applebee's. No, no, and no. You, she and was were, actually uh, uh, she was tables. working. <laughs> no, it was just the opposite. She was working at Applebee's, okay, gotcha. and and I swear that we met. But as I said, I must not have made a very sure. good impression. But she was uh, at a football game, a high school football game, uh, and I was at a high school football game. We were at the Pontotoc versus Amory game. Oh wow! I wonder if uh, Chris Jones, who lives here in okay, Hernando, was the go. quarterback at that time because he well if he was playing in that game because he was a quarterback at Amory sure and uh it's just kind of a small world uh but we met that night and uh we talked a little bit there uh she was there with a friend of mine I always say that she was on a date with him but she says she was just there but uh I ended up talking to her I think more than he did and uh so we we kind of hit it off and then uh we were able to meet up again a few months uh later and uh so we started dating and then we actually uh dated for uh a big five or six years you better be right on this she's probably gonna listen so. yeah no that's what i'm saying i gotta get all my facts straight here i may have to yeah. get you to edit some of this later if sure. i get something wrong uh but then we were married in 2001 and and uh, as i said uh, we got married and uh we were not living here in, in desoto county at the time uh but it just i mean it just worked everything worked out uh right there god had a plan for Absolutely. us and really put us into place and put everything into motion and uh, we moved here in uh, 2001 and We've been here ever since, and we're just, you know, trying to be as much a part of the community as we can. Next question. Where's your favorite place? I'm not talking about place to eat or anything like that, but where's your favorite place in DeSoto County? Wow, that's tough. I'm going to say the lake where I go fishing. Okay. Don't want to tell anybody where that is. <laughs> Don't want to tell anybody. <laughs> a secret spot. Now, I'm trying to think if there's a uh, – I mean, I, I'd be afraid that I would I know it's a something. tough question, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, – you know, it's one of those, uh, you know, I enjoy going out, uh, honestly, on the weekends and going to high school football games sure. and, and going to, you know, different events around the county. So, you know, it's tough when you ask somebody who's uh, over 38 campuses where their toughest place is, because if it was tied into school and I named one, I'd yeah. be in a tough spot. Oh, so, yeah, I I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to stick with that lake where I go fishing. I'll tell you real quick, uh, I, you may know this or not, but I, I have the opportunity or the pleasure to announce the Hernando Middle School football games. Yeah. So I do the seventh grade and the eighth grade. And um, we can talk about different reasons, but uh, – first couple of games we didn't necessarily do the national anthem but i caught myself the other night uh, we did the national anthem kind of looked through the window and 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 watching the flag going and, and and the wind was blowing and and being able to look in the stands and seeing everybody with their hats off seeing everybody with their you know hand on their heart uh, in today's world society tells us that that's wrong and for that split second I, th I thought to myself there's no place i'd rather be right now than that it was just an amazing minute and a half of time right there that i thought to myself this is this is a wonderful place to live don't we live in such a special place absolutely i mean desoto county is uh, such a great place i couldn't imagine living anywhere different and uh, I, i'm just like you i see things all the time you know whether just like you said just during a simple time during the national anthem or you know if there's something you know it's, it's like when the tornadoes hit and you saw 
how everybody went to the aid of people and they were working for days uh, on that project or, or just when there were people in need and everyone helping each other. I mean, DeSoto County is just a, such a special place. I couldn't agree more. Glad to be a part of it. Uh, last thing, we've talked about both of you. have We have children roughly the same age. Uh, last question of the day, favorite thing about being a dad? I think just uh, getting home at night and, and being able to, to talk to them about their day, it, the hustle and bustle of, of the, the day and, and being able to just settle in and realize that these days are fleeting. And, you know, we see it with our children all the time. And I talk to people and, and I see parents with small children who are in our school, you know, kindergartners or first graders. And I think, man, I'm not that parent anymore. I've got a 10th grader, a 7th grader. But also know that I'm going to look back, you know, five, 10 years from now, and these are going to be the good old days. You know, these are going to be the days where we're trying to hustle to who's going to get to this kid to that practice. You know, we got to make sure we're at the football game. Hey, we've got soccer practice tonight too. And, and, and just taking that time just to, just to reflect and realize that this is going by fast. And uh, that time of being a dad, even though uh, I'll always be their dad, but but these are those those years that I don't want to let any of that time go to waste. Corey, I want to thank you for coming on to our show. We appreciate you believing in just the opportunity to sit down with us for an hour and visit and talk. I know schools are something that, that's important to Derek and I. Our moms were both educators, so we've talked about it from day one on the podcast. If you go back and listen, education, schools are very important to us, and so we've really enjoyed on Friday nights, Derek and I'll text back and forth, you know, the game we picked against Oxford or so-and-so and who won and watching the scores and stuff. And and so um, it's just, Hernando's a wonderful place to live. DeSoto County's a wonderful place to live. Thank you for being a big part of that. And uh, thank you for coming on the UTW Podcast. Appreciate your support and uh, appreciate the invitation to be here. Thank you. This is where we dropped off a pretty little